So I was preparing for this morning. I want to look at a topic. You see it up there already in John chapter 3. Very simple. You must be born again. Well, yes, I have the responsibility of preaching the whole counsel of God. And, you know, I try to preach a lot of expositorily going through book by book. And sometimes it takes, as a matter of fact, we did go through the book of John. And it only took us, what, four and a half years to get through the book of John. But sometimes we, stop, we need to stop and just go back to the basic message of you must be born again. What is salvation? You know, you ask... 20 different people what salvation is, and you're going to get 40 different answers, I think, anymore. I've had people tell me everything from, I go to church, I'll be okay. Or you ask them something like, how are you going to get to heaven? Well, I'm going to keep the Ten Commandments. Have you been saved? Yeah, I was baptized. But that's not what I asked. Have you been saved? Well, you know, I had this real life-changing experience where I met God. What does that mean? Salvation is a life-changing experience, but what, does it, what do you mean by that? Because who was it that saw the, some 30-foot Jesus and had a life-changing experience with that or something like that? I don't know. But, I mean, what do we mean when we say we had a life-changing experience? I got married. That was a life-changing experience. I've had two children. That was a life-changing experience. But that didn't change my eternal destination. So what does it mean to be saved? Well, you know, I had this really bad disease and God healed me. That's physical salvation, but it's not spiritual. Well, my grandpappy is a preacher. I actually had that one. Well, good for your grandpappy. How's that going to get you into heaven? I'm a good person. The Bible says you're not. The Bible says our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. How can one truly know that they will enter the gates of heaven? Aren't you glad God says... You can know. Not a hope so, wish so, think so. I get that a lot too. If you were to die, would you go to heaven? I hope so. I think so. I'd like to believe so. And I tell them, I got good news for you. God said you can know so. Well, I don't believe you can know. Yes, you can. And God said so. Not me. And so in the book of John, we have recorded for us this man coming to Jesus by night. Now, this is a very familiar account. Don't let the familiarity of it take away from the importance of it. His name is Nicodemus. We know that because God told us. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. You say, what's a Pharisee? thought those were bad things. Well, we use it in a negative connotation because of the way Pharisees acted, okay, most of them. But a Pharisee was a student of the law. The law, not talking like criminal law, but the law as in God's law, the Old Testament. Okay, because remember, the New Testament wasn't written yet. So these are men who have studied the Old Testament. They know the Bible of what they had at the time. Yet this man, who should have understood who Jesus is, comes to him by night. Now, why is he coming by night? Well, because like many, he's fearful. What will others think? Especially since the Pharisees already shown that they've hated Jesus and they, they're trying to get rid of him. He's, he's, he's not wanting to go out on a limb and get to know this guy too close, be associated with him. People sometimes fear and allow men to create fear in their hearts. We're not to fear man, but fear God. He comes to Jesus 
And that's where we pick up this account here in John chapter 3. So if you are physically able, if you would please stand with me for the reading of God's word. John chapter 3, starting at verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter in this kingdom of God. But that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but thou canst not tell where it cometh or whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Art thou a master in Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto you, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man that ascendeth into heaven, no man hath ascended into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent, in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Can we read verse 16 together, please? For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is a condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that do, doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Father, I pray you bless this time together in your word. And Lord, if there's one that does not know Christ as Savior, if they've never been born again, I pray that they'd understand the need for that today. And those that have been born again, may we understand the responsibility of sharing this great message with this lost and dying world. We'll thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. You see, Nicodemus was a religious man, but his religion didn't save him. Many try to find their way to God through religion. If I do these things, God will let me in heaven. But that's not what salvation is. As he comes to Jesus, he says to Jesus in verse 2, he says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. We know you're a teacher. And Jesus immediately takes the subject, says, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, that's a very interesting phrase Jesus chooses to use. Because just as when I was born, it was a specific event, was it not? Now, I don't remember it, but I've been told I was there, but I don't remember. But it was a very specific event that's now put on the calendar, and every time that day rolls around, I add another year to my age. Right? Okay. So, if Jesus says he must be born again, then would not then this birth that he's talking about be a specific event? 
I say that because some act like salvation is some kind of process through which we have to go. But it's not. It's a, special, it's a specific event. Ye must be born again. Now, Nicodemus is confused. If I came to you and said, John, you need to be born again. If you didn't have an understanding of Scripture, if this is the first time you ever said it, you might be like Nicodemus. Nicodemus is like, I'm an old man. How could I possibly be born again? Can I enter a second time into my mother's womb? Now, he's not trying to be gross or crass or disgusting. He's just asking a legitimate question. I'm a big man. How can I be born again? Jesus explains. And this is, I want to take time today to explain this so you understand again. And I know many of you have heard this before, but let's be able to share this with others and let's make sure that we understand what salvation truly is. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is where some get the idea that, ah, Jesus is teaching that you have to be baptized because he says being born of water. But that's not what the water is referring to here. He's not saying you have to be baptized and born of the Spirit. He's showing there's two different births, okay? We already know one of these births is the physical birth, right? Because even though the government makes us provide a birth certificate, which I never understood, it's like I'm standing in front of you, of course I was born. What, do you think I was hatched? Anyhow, they say, no, 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 so we can see how old you are. It's like, whatever. Okay, whatever. Birth certificates don't make sense to me because I'm standing in front of you, I was born. But anyhow, if he says born again, that means one of these has already happened. That's the born first time, right? So if he says you need to be born of water and of the Spirit, then that water birth is referring to the natural birth. Okay, it's not referring to a baptism. It's referring to the natural birth. Now, again, you ask any mother in this room, I even remember how we knew this was the real time to take Susan to the hospital. Because when she was carrying Shannon, she had the, uh, what do they call it? Yeah, whatever they call it. The, the contractions ahead of time that scare everybody. And being a you know, first-time father, I'm like, oh, let's run to the hospital. And then they're like, yeah, it's just these uh, Braxton Hicks. Thank you. Contractions. And so, you know, we end up going home. And then we run to the hospital, and then we don't. And then, and then my water broke. <gasps> this is real. <laughs> right? Okay, we use that expression still today. My water broke. Well, we know that because there's a lot of water involved with the natural birth, okay? So what is he saying? Okay, in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you first of all had to have that physical birth, okay? Nicodemus is like, yep, okay, here. He says, then there has to be also born of the Spirit. And so now he's saying this new birth, this born again, is something spiritual, it's not physical. Okay, so there's something different about this birth. And then he goes on to explain it more. And aren't you glad this whole conversation is recorded so that we have the understanding of what's going on? Now, let me say the whole conversation. Jesus and Nicodemus probably said more words than exactly these, but what's recorded for us is everything we need to understand what this new birth is. Follow what I'm saying? Okay. So, that which is born of the flesh, and this is again explaining that water birth, verse 6, that which is born of the flesh, that water birth, is flesh. 
And that which is born of the Spirit, capital S, Spirit of God, is Spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, ye must be born again. Here's further explanation, verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Okay, I can see Patrick was born in the flesh. You know how I can tell? He's sitting right there. And I could even reach out and touch him. I won't. <laughs> but I could if I wanted to. He's there in the flesh, right? Okay, now Jesus says, that's the flesh birth. But there's a spiritual birth, and he relates it to the wind. Okay, 2018, we had Florence stop by for a visit, right? I remember going and feeling the walls actually moving with the force of that wind, okay? I was not dumb enough to go outside in it until it was all done. But once it was done, actually years ago when we lived in base housing in the 90s, one of our neighbors went running during a hurricane. And I look out the window and I see him out there running and I'm like, only a Marine. <laughs> Sorry, but it's true. <laughs> You were just aboard a carrier, right, Chris? No, LPD. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, let's suppose you were on a carrier, and you go up in the flight deck. You have to kind of walk like this, because you're walking into the wind, unless you're going at. But if you're going forward, you have to kind of walk into the wind. You don't see it, but you feel it, right? After Florence left, we all saw the effects of that wind, did we not? Yeah, it left pretty bad situation here in Havelock. Now, have you ever looked out and said, oh, here comes the wind? No, you don't see it. But you certainly know once it's blown through. Jesus is saying, so is the spiritual birth. Okay, I'll use Patrick again. I can look at Patrick, I can see he's here physically, but I can't see that he's born again. Now, I know he's, he, he received Christ as Savior. I know that because he's told me so, and I see the evidence in his life, but I can't see it. See what I'm saying? What I can see is change. I can see a desire to serve Christ. I can see one who's serving God, one who's putting off the old and putting on the new. I can see the effects of the spiritual birth, but I can't see it because it's something spiritual. Does that make sense? We all together still? Okay. Does it make it any less real because I can't see it? The answer is no. It's still a real thing. And so what Jesus is telling Nicodemus, if you want to enter into the gates of heaven, you need not just a physical birth, but you need this spiritual birth that he's talking about. Now, Nicodemus is now out trying to figure this out. So how does this happen? What do you t uh, how does this happen? Okay, Jesus continues to explain it. Verse 9 Nicodemus answered and said, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Art thou a master in Israel and knowest not these things? He's saying, Nicodemus, with all due respect, you're a student of the Old Testament. You should know this. But let me explain it to you. He says, verse 11, Truly, truly, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify what we have seen, and you receive not our witness. So Jesus is saying, If I've told you earthly things, verse 12, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Okay? So, verse 11. 
We speak what we do know and testify what we have seen. That's being a witness, by the way, right? When you get called into a court of law, you don't say, well, you know, Stephanie told me that Ken said that Susan heard Shannon say, they'd say, that's not as admissible as evidence. But when I sit there as a witness, I tell what I have seen or heard. Hence the reason why, Christian, you and I are to be witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because you can't witness something you haven't experienced. But in this context, Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you don't understand heavenly things because you've never been there to witness it. I, the Son of God, the Son of Man, have come to earth to share with you heavenly things. Isn't that amazing? God himself came to earth to share with us heavenly things. How else would we know it? Think about it. How else could I know God? How else could I know of heaven? How else could I know to get to heaven unless God told me so? Okay, so let's continue on. Verse 13, No man hath ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Now he goes back to an Old Testament illustration, going back to answer this whole question about being born again. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Okay, so now we go back to an illustration that he gives from Numbers chapter 21. And what had happened? Well, if you remember back in Numbers 21, as the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness, they're complaining to God again, and God sends these serpents throughout the land, and these serpents start biting the people, and the poison of the serpent is killing them. And God commands Moses to make a serpent and put it up on a pole and tell the children of Israel, look at that serpent on the pole, and those who look will live. Those who don't will perish. Okay, so Moses takes and he fashions this serpent, he makes a pole, he sticks it up on the pole and tells the children of Israel, look on this serpent and if you've been bitten by one of these serpents, you will live, otherwise you'll die. Now, common sense would be like, ow, I just got bit. I'll look up at the serpent. But I can imagine, as is there are today, people saying, you know what? I don't care what Moses says. That is the dumbest thing I ever heard. He's telling me all I have to do is look at that stupid thing. And if I look at it, then I'm going to live. But that's just so dumb. It goes against logic. It goes against all reasoning. It goes against everything. And you know, I don't even know why Moses is leading us. That man comes up with some of the craziest ideas and I'm not going to do it. I die. Why? because my stubborn heart says, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to figure this thing out without Moses telling me how to do it. Now, Jesus says then, the end of the verse, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's foretelling that he is going to have to die on the cross of Calvary. Okay, so let's go back a little bit. We talked a little bit about this being born again, being saved is another term used in the scripture, but saved from what? Well, the Bible makes it clear that all of us are born sinners, right? What is sin? According to 1 John, sin is any transgression of the law or crossing the boundary that God has set. Okay, the speed limit here on Lake Road in front of the church is 35 miles an hour. 
One time, a police officer was sitting out here, caught the guy doing 55 this way, stopped him, gave him a ticket, and then caught him going this way, going 55 miles an hour, stopped him and gave him a second ticket. He goes, the fishing's good today. He says, I got one twice. When you go faster than the speed limit, that is transgressing the law. It's breaking the law. Okay, God has given a law, has he not? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Okay, have you ever taken anything that's not yours, no matter how small? Yep. So that makes you a, I've had people say a human. No, it makes you a thief. We're not to tell a lie. So have you ever told a lie, no matter how insignificant you might think it is? That makes you a liar. You're not to commit adultery, but the Jesus said, if a man looks at a woman to lust after her, he's committed adultery already after her in his heart. Jesus said, would not kill, that to have hatred toward your brother is as a sin of murder. So, I'm not doing too well as I'm going through this list. Has anybody here ever taken the name of God in vain? It makes us a blasphemer. So if we go through this, then I realize I'm a blaspheming, lying, thieving, adulterer. Not doing very good, am I? Now, the Bible tells us then in Romans that the wages of sin is death. I want you to get this. Because this is why salvation is important. This is what this new birth is all about. Just as in the Old Testament, those children of Israel had sinned against God and he was sending those serpents to bite them and because of the venom in them, they were dying. So you and I that are sinners have within us, if you will, that venom and we're going to be dying. You say, well, of course we're all going to die. All right, the Bible talks of three different types of death. There's physical death because death generally has the idea of separation, okay? So when I die physically, the body stops and you plant it back in the ground and it goes back to dirt. But I got a soul and spirit that continue on. So, am I going to have eternal life? Another thing called those that are saved, eternal life. And Jesus even says in this passage, you have eternal life. Compared to, or contrasted with, eternal death. Okay, now what's the difference? Eternal life is with God in heaven with Christ in heaven, eternal death is separated from God in hell. Do you follow the difference? It's still separation. Either with God, without God. I've heard people say, you're going to live forever just no matter where. No, that's actually a false statement. You're either going to be eternally alive or eternally dead. And let me tell you something. Those in hell would rather have been annihilated than to be eternally separated from God in a place of torments, the place of fires, the place of outer darkness, the place where they're screaming and gnashing of teeth and weeping and, and the worm dieth not. And it talk, the Bible has so much description of this awful place where people will spend all eternity separated from God, eternally dead in outer darkness. Does that make sense? Now they feel every moment of it, so I guess in that aspect they're alive, but going with what the meaning 
of separation, they're separated from God for all eternity, therefore eternally dead versus eternal life. Now, the third description of death in the Bible, because that one's called the second death, it's called spiritual death. The Bible says that all of us are born spiritually dead or separated from God. You say, well, why is that? Okay, let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God created Adam and Eve, and he created them in a perfect environment, created them without sin, but he gave man a choice. And Adam had one rule. Do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's Adam's only rule he had. But in that, having that rule, God gave Adam a free choice to choose to obey God or choose to disobey God. Okay, because for Adam to be a creature that would choose to love God, he had to have a choice to follow God or not to follow God. Adam obviously made the wrong choice, thereby plunging all of mankind into sin and thereby separating man from God because our sin separates us from God. Okay, every one of us has admitted now that we've broken God's law. Our sin deserves death, separation from God. We're already born separated from God, and we deserve to be eternally separated from God. Okay, now let's get to the serpent on the pole. God provided before the foundation of the world a way for mankind to be saved, to be born again, to be made alive again. Because we're born spiritually dead, He's made a way for us to be made alive. Ephesians says he has quickened you or made you alive. There's, God made a way for this to happen, and the only way is for a substitute to die in our place. Now, the substitute had to be perfect. Here's the problem. None of us are. The substitute had to be one of us. So God himself became a man. You see, you have three persons in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The second person of the Godhead, God the Son, said, I will become a man. Now, God himself then stepped into his creation to be born of a virgin. He did not inherit a sin nature. He was born of a virgin. Jesus Christ lived a perfect, sinless life thereby being able to be that substitute, that lamb, to die in my place on the cross of Calvary. And he willingly gave his life as a sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. He was lifted up, as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man was lifted up on the cross of Calvary, died in my place, became my substitute, my sin was laid upon him so that God the Father could take that righteousness and impute it on me and give it to me and say, you are forgiven, you are born again, you are saved, you are a child of God. All these terms we use happen at one moment. Hallelujah. He made a way. Now, just as God gave Adam a choice so he still gives you a choice today. <coughs> Just as Jesus is explaining this to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus had to make a choice. Is he going to accept salvation? Is he going to accept this new birth in Jesus Christ? Or is he going to reject it? So you and I must make that choice today. Again, 
The only way to heaven, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's not multiple roads to heaven. There's not multiple ways to heaven. There's only one way, and it's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, not my words, his words. Verse 16 explains this now. For God so loved the world, the people of the world, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ became that man and died on the cross of Calvary, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. The world's already been condemned by the law, but that the world through him might be saved. What's the word saved? Same thing as being born again. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. You see... I've had people say, well, what I need to do to go to hell? Nothing. You've already done enough. You're already condemned. That will be, unless you change, unless you receive Christ as Savior, let me help you understand. Hell will be your eternal destination, period. Not my words, Christ's words. You're already condemned. I want you to think of this. Every man, woman, boy, and girl you meet without Jesus Christ, is already condemned to hell. You say, well, that's not fair of God. Let me tell you what's not fair is that God has provided a way, and we're not telling people that God has provided a way. That's not fair. But he that believeth on him is not condemned. You know what that means? If you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have that moment when you're born again, you will never, ever experience a moment in hell. Isn't that wonderful? You're not condemned. Matter of fact, flip over just a few pages to John chapter 5. In verse 24, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, that's present tense, right now, has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. In other words, I have once I'm a child of God, once I'm saved, once I've been born again, I have in my current possession eternal life. Now, by definition, that means it can never end because if it ever ends, it wasn't eternal. I shall not come into condemnation. I will never experience the fires of hell because I'm passed from death, I was dead spiritually, to life, I'm now alive in Christ. Isn't that wonderful good news? By the way, while the passage does not conclude what Nicodemus' decision was. I believe there's evidence throughout the rest of the book of John that Nicodemus truly did receive Christ as Savior. Now, he always seemed to do it secretly, always seemed to live a little secret life here. But we see when the Pharisees are arguing about Nicodemus sticks up for Christ, and then also when Joseph of Arimathea goes to bury the body, guess who's with him? Nicodemus. Now, either he was one curious man I believe he truly believed Jesus Christ was who he said he was. And that is the question I pose to you today. Is Jesus Christ truly the Savior of this world? Is he truly the Son of God? Is he truly who he says he is? If so, then friend, he died to save you. If you're here today and do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, he would say to you the same words, you must be born again. But he would tell you, and he has me here to tell you today. He died in your place. 
You see, he had done no sin of his own. It wasn't the Romans who killed Jesus. It wasn't the Jews who killed Jesus. He gave himself a sacrifice. The Bible even tells us he could have called a legion of angels who would have rescued him off the cross. But he chose to hang there and die in humiliation, the most painful death known to man, the most painful form of execution. As I said before, it is said of Rome, they did not invent the crucifixion, but they perfected it. And they made it the most horrible form of death possible. He experienced that in your place. Because for God so loved the world. I have a son. I wouldn't give my son for my best friend, much less for my enemies. But while we were the enemies of God, Christ died for us. He was buried, but here's the great news. Three days later, he rose again. And he lives today, proving he is who he says he is. And he offers to all the free gift of salvation. Now we say it's free, free to us, but understand that doesn't mean it was cheap because it came at a great price. Salvation is not turning over a new leaf. It's not being baptized. It's not doing better with life. It's not having some experience. It is an experience, but I, I, some people's experience means I felt good about something happened. I don't know what that means. What it is, is coming to a point in your life when you realize I'm a hell-deserving sinner. There's nothing I can do good enough to save myself because all my righteousness is as filthy rags. I've already broken God's law. And I've used this illustration many times. Let's suppose 20 years ago, I murdered somebody and the law finally caught up with me and I was standing before the judge and I said, get out your scales, I'm going to give you my good works. I know you got that bad thing on that side and that's kind of a little heavy. You know, I did kill that guy, but let me give you my good things and let's put them over here. You see, I'm a preacher now and, and I, 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 I try to help people and I do good things. And the judge is going to be like, what are you doing? Like, I'm trying to put my good over here to outweigh that bad and he's going to be like, you're stupid. I mean, well, isn't that how it works? He'll be like, no. I mean, wasn't there some kind of statute of limitations? He'll be like, no. It still needs to pay, be paid for. The law demands justice. So it is with God. I don't know why people treat God as though he's going to be some kind of unjust God that pulls out their scales and puts good and bad. No, the, we, the sin must be paid for. He said so. But I am glad there, there's nothing I can do now to pay for it, but Jesus Christ paid for it in my place. And if I come to him and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, that you know what? There is no scales. But instead of looking at me at the guilty sinner, God the judge, as he's looking at me, Jesus Christ, my advocate, stands and says, he's mine. He's cleansed. He's washed. And God, instead of seeing my sin, sees me through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed on my account. And you know what? He sees me as righteous. Now, I know I'm not, but that's the way God sees me. Why? Because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed on my account. And now when the old accuser comes before God and says, let me tell you what Jim Cord did. You know, he's not your child. He doesn't deserve it. Jesus Christ stands up and he says he's washed. He's forgiven. And the father says, I don't know what sins you're talking about. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that good news? Yes. Oh, yes. I know this has been a simple message today. 
But sometimes we need to go back to the simplicity of the gospel. You must be born again. I don't know everyone in the state in this room because, again, I can't see you spiritually. You may have been attending this church for 50 years. I don't know. If you have, that's pretty amazing considering it hasn't been around for 50 years. But you may have been attending this church for a long time, and you have everybody fooled into thinking, but let me tell you something, God knows. And if you're sitting here today and you have never become a child of God, if you've never been born again, if you've never been saved, if you've never acknowledged your sinfulness before God, a time and a place when you say, oh God, I am a sinner. I deserve hell. Please forgive me. Please save me. I accept Jesus Christ's payment is for my sin. Or however you word it, because it's the belief in the heart, it's the confession with the mouth and the belief in the heart. But it, you, if there has come a time, not come a time and place, then friend, today could be that day that you receive Jesus Christ. And you may have everybody else fooled. And you may say, well, if I were to respond today, people will laugh at me because they think that I'm some great person in this church. Let me promise you this. Nobody in this church who is truly born again would ever laugh. And let me tell you a little illustration. We're getting ready to close. Because I lived that lie. I lived that lie for years. I even had myself convinced I was saved. Because I told myself so many times. But you know what? The Holy Spirit of God wouldn't let me go. And I knew that if I were to die, I didn't have a certainty of heaven. And all these preachers saying, you can know for sure, and you can know beyond a reasonable doubt, any, any, no doubt in your mind whatsoever. And I'm like, but I always have these doubts. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand why I doubt. I thought I did the right thing. I thought I had done. See, what it was, it was me. Me, me, me. What I had done. And when I was a freshman in Ambassador Baptist College, Cary Grant, evangelist Cary Grant, came and preached a message from Acts chapter 1 about Judas, how Judas was trusted by the other disciples. He was the treasurer of the group. He, and he goes through about how the, he went out with all the others, did the same miracles the rest of them did. Nobody suspected Judas, but Judas was the one in the crowd that never truly believed Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us he died and went to his own place. He's in hell today because he never put his faith in Jesus Christ. And he said, there are some in this crowd today who may have fooled everybody. You may have grown up in church. You may put on a good facade, but you know in your heart that you're not saved. Now I can tell you right now, I was sitting next to Susan just like this, and she knew I was a nervous wreck. And as soon as he said, head bowed, eyes closed, I shot out of there like a shotgun. And I went up front and I met Joel Spencer up front. He goes, Jim, you? I said, yes, me. I need to be saved today. And since that day, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I have never doubted since. And I can tell you, you will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you will never, ever doubt when it's genuine. Unless you choose to backslide. Now let me tell you, they can backslide so far, Peter tells us he can forget you saved, but that's a different topic for another day. But God will give you that assurance. If you're here today and you don't have that assurance, in just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And I would love opportunity to take a Bible, take you aside and show you privately, or have someone else take you aside and show you privately. I don't care if you've been going to this church 15 years. If you don't know Christ, friend, don't gamble with your soul. But then, Christian, we know this in our head. But do we believe it? Are we busy telling others? Are we sharing that good news with this lost and dying world. One missionary had a man tell him, he said, I don't believe 
what you're telling me. He said, because I've seen too many Christians who don't live it out. He said, if I believed what you believed, he says, I'd crawl on my hands and knees across glass to make sure every single person in this world knew Jesus Christ is came to die for them. Now, I'm glad we don't have to crawl on our hands and knees across glass to tell people, aren't you? But are we ashamed to knock on our neighbor's door and tell them? Are we ashamed to tell our coworker because they may make fun of us? Let's not be ashamed in the name of Christ. Let's make a commitment today to tell the good news of Jesus Christ.